Thank you again for joining us for today's Friday Gallery Talk, and welcome to those who are just joining us now. Please be aware that today's talk is being recorded for podcast on iTunes and will be posted to the Hirshhorn website. Today we are delighted to have Rusty Hassan with us to discuss the Direction Show, Jenny C. Jones, Higher Resonance. Rusty has been the producer and host of weekly jazz radio programs for the past 45 years. He currently hosts Thursday Night Jazz on WPFW 89.3 FM, which can be heard every Thursday night from 10 p.m. to midnight. He has interviewed and conversed with such major artists as Count Basie, Lionel Hampton, Earl Hines, Woody Herman, Dizzy Gillespie, Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, Art Blakey, Max Roach, Roy Haynes, Mary Lou Williams, Sun Ra, Wynton Marsalis, and numerous others. He has taught jazz history courses at Georgetown University, American University, University of Maryland University College, and at the Smithsonian Institution. And the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities has recognized him with a special award for his contribution to the community with this year's broadcasting in Washington, DC. Please help me to welcome Rusty Hassan. Thank you. Well, this is really uh, indeed a pleasure. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jenny C. Jones had a conversation here at the Hirshhorn with Jason Moran, and it really delved into her connection with jazz. And we'll talk about that in terms of her connection with jazz and modernism. But I guess a, an encapsulated history of jazz and modernism may be appropriate. Uh, you know, jazz is rooted in the African-American community. It, it, it has pre-jazz forms and spirituals, blues, work songs, and really came to fruition in New Orleans around the turn of the century. And it incorporated aspects of improvisation, which uh, is an important part of, of, uh, of, of the musical genre that, that developed afterwards. It's a very competitive art form, too. And the early artists, uh, we're always striving to outdo one another. And the music came along at a time when there were other things happening in American society. It was a very, very racist environment, of course, post-Civil War, and the, uh, the incorporation of segregation uh, uh, really imposed a lot of restrictions on the musicians that were creating this new music. But as it developed, it was also part of the great breakdown in, in terms of, uh, of, of the racism among the people who performed the music and the music who, who created it. And it was also being created at the other aspect of, of modern society. So it's coming up as radio is being developed. It's coming along as recordings are, are, are being made. Uh, uh, first Edison had his cylinders and then the, the, the discs that were created in the early part of the century, 78 RPM records. And so the music is part of the whole concept of, of, of modernism, particularly in America. Uh, in the, the, the early years, uh, in the 1920s, when Louis Armstrong is developing this art form as a uh, soloist art, he's really pushing the envelope in terms of making improvisation an important aspect of the music. The creativity was really coming along in terms of trying to outdo one another. And there's a, a collection put out by the Smithsonian of, of Louis Armstrong's early recordings from, the, uh, from the, the 20s through the mid-30s. And there's a poster on it, uh, on the cover. And it says, Master of Modernism. One of the other early creators of this music 
James P. Johnson, who's uh, the father of the Harlem Stride style of piano, did a tune called You Got to Be Modernistic. So it's, it's coming along at a time when, when, when modernism as a musical development is, is being created. And it's influencing other modern musical forms. Uh, uh, Maurice Ravel came to the United States and he immediately wanted to go to Harlem. He wanted to hear how this new music was being created. Stravinsky is listening to jazz. In fact, in the mid-40s does a recording uh, uh, of music for Woody Herman. He composes a piece that Woody Herman composes. So there's this, this connection with other modern music. And in terms of, of the visual arts, when, when I was coming up, my, my encounter of seeing modern art was on the album covers. And back in the 50s, there was the LP covers that were, you know, about 8 by 10, 12 by, by 12, or whatever the, the dimensions were. But modern art was on the cover. One of the first albums I ever bought was a Dave Brubeck album, Time Further Out. And on the cover was a, a, a piece by Juan Moreau. So we had Moreau. Uh, a later avant-garde uh, album that I, that I picked up as I got into the music was called Free Jazz by Ornette Coleman. And it featured the cover on the cover, a, a, a work of art by Jackson Pollock. Now, some years ago, when I was doing a, putting together a course called Bohemian's Beats and Bebop, and I, I went up to the Museum of Modern Art to look at a, a retrospective of Pollock, they had a recording of, of re records that Jackson Pollock was listening to while he was, was doing his art. And, and, and I was really intrigued because in terms of the time that Pollock was doing his work in the post-war era in the, in, the, in the late 40s and early 50s, modern jazz was bebop, the, the revolutionary music of Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, Dizzy Gillespie. Well, actually, Jackson Pollock was rather conservative in his taste. He was listening to Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins, and Count Basie, and Billie Holiday. And he wasn't part of the, 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 uh, the, the, the audience that was going to the five spot to hear Monk. He was listening to the older style of jazz. And I, I often wonder how uh, he would have looked at the music of Ornette Coleman that uh, was encompassed in the cover of his artwork, because he was actually somewhat conservative in his taste. In any case, uh, it, it jazz in the 1920s was more of a, of a popular music, part of the modern era. It was a type of music that people were really listening to uh, in terms of, 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 of a dance music. And it was part of a sort of the cultural revolution. It was a music of youth. It was a music of, uh, of rebellion in many ways. And uh, it really pushed the envelope in terms of the, the, the artistic aspects of the music uh, that, that was being created in, you know, in areas like you know, uh, Louis Armstrong uh, saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to create music, but I'm also going to be an entertainer. And this devolved into the 1930s when the music was also popular dance music with the swing era. And so you had uh, artists like Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Benny Goodman, all playing popular dance music, but also because of the, the improvisational aspect of the music, creating music that was, was really bordering on, on, on art music. The war years of the 1940s saw another transformation in the music. And this is where, where jazz, as an art form, keeps reforming itself and changing the, 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 the dynamic of the music. In the 40s, there was a, what was called the bebop revolution, although it was really more evolutionary than, than, 
been revolution. The artists were building on what came before, but they're creating it more of, of uh, the competitive aspect of a, of a soloist art form. And, and the audience shifted from music that was played for dancing to music that's being played for listening. And it became really an art music. And it became known as modern jazz. And this is the type of music that, that the abstract expressionists were listening to uh, in New York City as they were going to the clubs and creating their visual arts. It was a real intersection of, of the arts uh, at, at that, that period of time. And this is what Jenny C. Jones delves into with her, with her work. Uh, she uh, is creating uh, artwork that is, is, is look, looking at what she calls neo-modernism. And she's also listening to music while she's being creating, creating what, 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 what she's painting or the, the sculptures that she's doing, which is also puts her in the context of other African-American artists. African-American artists have always looked at jazz as their music. For example, Romare Bearden actually composed a jazz piece called Sea Breeze that was recorded by uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, the uh, uh, great abstract artist Sam Gilliam once told me he was listening to my jazz show as he was working on his artwork at, at home here in Washington, D.C. So that, that's you know, part of the, 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 the jazz heritage that African-American artists have, and Jenny C. Jones is part of that. But it's also dealing with issues like, like race in America. I, I thought it very intriguing that uh, she was the, the, the recipient of the, the Ween Prize uh, recently. Uh, it was a $50,000 grant. Well, what is that? Well, George Ween was the founder of the Newport Jazz Festival. He, he was a jazz pianist who had a club in Boston in the, in the early 1950s. And through people involved in music and the arts, said, we want to have a festival here in Newport, 1954. And, and he brought Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Dave Brubeck, all these major artists to the uh, jazz festival in New York. Well, actually, he was also a pioneer in another aspect in terms of interracial relationships because he married an African-American woman in the 1950s. And she was an artist. She was very much involved in the visual arts. And actually, the prize is named after Joyce Ween. You know, so it's another aspect of the music that, 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 that uh, Jenny is, a, is a, a recipient of. What Jenny has done in terms of her listening was actually talk, really delve into the music and become friends with a lot of the musicians who were created and delving into the history of the music. And one of her earlier installations, she was actually listening to different aspects of, of jazz and how, how it's structured in terms of, of formalism and improvisation. And she made a great comparison between Thelonious Monk and the modern jazz quartet with John Lewis as the musical director. Monk was always pushing the envelope in terms of the music and really uh, doing things that, that were very unusual at the time that were later incorporated in the jazz tradition, whereas John Lewis as the, uh, the leader of the modern jazz quartet, looked back to, to formalism of, of European structures. It was very much influenced by Bach. And, and one of the, the recordings that uh, Jenny really delved into was, uh, was an album by the modern jazz quartet called Blues on Bach, where the modern jazz quartet would play a blues piece and then 
play a Bach piece. And uh, I, I can't come up with the titles off the top of my head right now, but it was a very, very uh, creative recording that, that the MJQ did that, uh, that Jenny delved into. What, what Jenny's been doing through her installations is not only using the artifacts of the music. Uh, she had one show where she had uh, 30 pieces by Mingus, and actually there were this, the CD covers. You know, so she's always looking at different aspects of jazz. In this exhibit, she has what, what are like the bafflers that go into a sound studio. And then she's created uh, her very minimalist art with, with this. And in this particular piece that we have playing in the background here, she's pushed the envelope in terms of the, the artist that, 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 that she's included. And, and just to keep my, my brain straight, I want to make sure I get all of the names of the artists that, 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 that she incorporated. Now, it really will focus more on the, uh, on the jazz artists, but, but she's uh, looked at contemporary avant-garde composers, African-American composers, Ali Wilson, Alvin Singleton, Wendell Logan, are all artists that have done contemporary classical music but also have delved into jazz and, and really sort of pushed the envelope in an academic fashion. The jazz artists that she's used in this particular installation include Alice Coltrane. And, and I, I guess to, to make the Coltrane connection, when she gave her uh, talk with uh, Jason Moran a couple of weeks ago, she showed a slide of a photograph of John Coltrane standing in the Whitney holding a saxophone. And she's saying, well, this is you know, an inspiration for me, the connection between the music and the visual arts. And John Coltrane had a career coming up working with Miles Davis in the mid-50s and uh, part of a, the, the great recording that, that, that Miles did uh, called Kind of Blue uh, using a, a, a modal improvisation that, that he incorporated in his own recordings in the 50s. And had a quartet that had McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums, a uh, group that I... I actually saw Coltrane at the, at the Newport Jazz Festival in 63, and, and then again here in Washington at the uh, Bohemian Caverns in 1965. And, and watched him, how he pushed the envelope. Alice McLeod was a well-established pianist when she met John Coltrane and became part of his very cutting edge towards the, the end of his career. And they had uh, a couple of children, one of whom um, is, uh, uh, you know, the, the saxophonist, Robbie Coltrane, who's, who's become very prominent in, 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 in music. So Alice, after Coltrane passed away, continued to perform, and she would actually incorporate unusual instruments like the harp, various types of organ and keyboard uh, music uh, into, her, uh, her, into her music. So she's part of this, this important heritage. Unfortunately, she passed away the early part of the uh, uh, 2000s. The other artist that she incorporates into the sound piece is, is really incredible. His name is Roland Kirk. He uh, had a dream one time, and he actually incorporated the name Rasan Roland Kirk. He played multiple instruments, played three or four saxophones. He invented instruments. He had things like the manzello and stretch and play a flute, play them all at once. And he had to break down the whole concept that, that this is kind of a, just a show that he's doing real art. 
He was very politicized, too. He's trying to, he, he was part of a, a thing called Jazz and People's Movement, get jazz on television. And he was very outspoken. In fact, I, I'll never forget reading in, 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 the, in the newspapers about how he was actually, because he had a little... Uh, gift that was given to him in Japan of, of a, not, not a small type knife or whatever, that they thought he was uh, going to be a hijacker, you know. I'm trying to picture the blind hijacker. So, so Rasan Roland Kirk also embodied the, the real human spirit. He had a stroke in 1975, and even though he was paralyzed, he had his horns reconstructed so he could play with one arm. I, I saw him after his stroke play at Blues Alley, and, and it was just amazing in terms of, of his ability and how, how he continued to perform, even uh, it, with that, that, that very severe disability. The other group that Jenny incorporates into the sound piece here is called the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And, and they were part of an avant-garde group, of course, in Chicago that was called the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, the AACM. And this was an African-American music co-op. It's still in existence today. It has its major focus in, in New York City, but it's still based in Chicago. And the musicians that were part of the AACM, AACM and the uh, Art Ensemble of Chicago include Lester Bowie on trumpet, Roscoe Mitchell and Joseph Jarman playing various reed instruments, uh, uh, Don Moye on drums and percussion, and uh, all it's the, the, uh, the bassist whose name will, will, will come to me in a second, uh, uh, Malachi Favors. Uh, this is a small group, but when they, they played in Europe, when I saw them, they had over 500 instruments. They, they incorporated lots of small instruments, the little percussive instruments that you're hearing in the sound piece. And they also became, you know, very, very much uh, show people in terms of, of using costume, putting on a real elaborate performance. And as cutting edge as they are, what, what Jenny has done is really push the envelope with their music and the other artists by, by incorporating sound pieces. So she's also, as jazz as uh, modern music has used technology over the decades that the music has been in existence, what Jenny has done was use a new technology to create new pieces out of the recordings of these other artists. And, and so this is what's incorporated in, in this piece here uh, today. She's also dealing with issues in her own way about race in America as an African-American artist. And she's looking at making the connection between music and modernism, and also in terms of modernism as, as an art form that was changed dramatically with the, with the pop art music of, of the 70s and 80s in, in terms of looking back at, at abstract art as a medium for her visual expression while incorporating music into uh, her oral expression. And, and so I, I think what she's done is, is really masterful in terms of incorporating the, 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 the uh, musical art form, dealing with all the musicians, and, and putting together the, the, the music of these, these, these artists, including those that are not well known by the general public. I think I want to conclude with something I came across, if I can find my, my notes here, uh, instead of 
trying to replicate it, but, but she, she gave a, a great quote in terms of, of, of what, what, what this music is about to hear. And uh, she said, abstraction and minimalism for me are radical acts. I cannot nor should I ignore my relationship to it if I need pedagogy to back it up outside of art history. I feel I have in Ornette Coleman, Cecil Taylor, Mingus, Monk, etc. That's me showing my papers. The sound pieces keep evolving because of the legacy, even as I sketch beyond the references to jazz with a capital J. So what she's doing is making these references and incorporating into her music. And this gives her the authenticity. And I think the conversation she had with Jason Moran really demonstrated that. Any questions? I, we want to open it up for a little dialogue in terms of, of, of what, what, what she's doing with, with her music. Does Jenny Jones get her inspiration basically through avant-garde jazz or all spectrums? All spectrums of music. In fact, I want to ask Jenny why in one of her earlier pieces she incorporated Kenny G, who's sort of the antithesis antithesis of what Joseph Drummond and Roscoe Mitchell are doing on the saxophone. You know, she, she's actually really probably from the mid-40s on. I, I think uh, as she delves more into the music, may, may go back earlier. But, but, but what she's doing lately is looking at uh, the, the more contemporary avant-garde artists. But in her earlier pieces, she incorporated Mingus. She incorporated, in one of her pieces, uh, Miles Davis from In a Silent Way. So she's, she's covered the spectrum of the music while, while pushing the envelope. Well, I, I think uh, uh, Jenny C. Jones really incorporates what jazz and modernism is all about. And, and what, what she has done is look back at the history of the music and looked at some of the more contemporary artists that, that need to be incorporated in the music. And I, I think she's done a, just an incredible job of getting it getting what the music is about, delving into it, talking to the musicians, becoming part of the, the, the music community in many ways, and pulling them into the visual arts also. Uh, when when she, she has conversations with a Jason Moran, who's the musical director, uh, the artistic musical director of the Kennedy Center now, bringing artists down there, she's showing, hey, this is another aspect of, of African-American art that we need to look at, and it's another aspect of American art and music that we need to look at. And, and for that, she's to be applauded. Sure. Um, do you have any particular thoughts about the construction of the sound work that she has created in, in her assemblage of, of these different pieces and, and her process, what the final product is? Do you have a take on it? I've been really fascinated because I've been up here listening and trying to, you know, break it down to, to, to say, well, who is, you know, I'll hear the trumpet and I say, well, that, that's, that's uh, uh, Lester Bowie. I know his sound. And he has references that go back to Miles Davis when he's playing the mute or uh, references to Rex Stewart when he's doing the slurs and stuff like that. And yet I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of, uh, well, the percussive sounds, Art Ensemble Chicago, well, well, who are some of the other artists, and how you know how'd she break into uh, Rasan Roland Kirk into this? You know, it, it, it's uh, uh, something I've been been listening to and just picking through as I hear it. I'm, re I'm really fascinated. 
I saw a video of, uh, uh, of her working on this electronic device that she has to, uh, to, to break down the music. And uh, I, I really am looking forward to a conversation with her about that. Thank you very much. I hope that you can get her on your show sometime very soon. So that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I wanted to mention that the, um, the Meet the Artist program that Rusty was referring to, the Jenny C. Jones and Jason Moran conversation, is um, available for podcasts on our website. So if you wanted to listen to that, it's actually really pretty fascinating. So I'd recommend that. And I also wanted to um, mention again that Rusty can be heard on 89.3 FM every Thursday at 10 PM. So uh, please be sure to tune in. And thank you very much to Rusty for spending time with us today.